So we are in our devotion series, uh, and uh, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to, excuse me, not our devotion series, this is our remember series, this is our vision series for the year. So if you'll go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that's where we're going to begin this morning, in just a minute. <clears throat> Some of you guys like, can really resonate with, uh, with what Steve was talking about uh, there, there this morning. Already in 2023, you've experienced some upheaval. Some of you all have lost jobs. Some of you all have lost family members. Some of you all have had happier situations that have also been upheavals. You've had new babies. Saw a special new baby this morning. It's awesome. Um, and some of you all have um, just moved to the area. That's its own kind of upheaval. We're glad to have you uh, here in Ackworth, Dallas, Marietta, wherever you are uh, stationed right now. But um, the good thing about these kind of life situation changes, uh, these big upheavals, is that they really make you think about um, the things that are most important. I remember having our first baby. Um, he's over there. He's a lot bigger than he was back then. Uh, but, um, but Ian would get us up in the middle of the night, and I didn't realize what a big deal sleep was until, until we had a baby. Because I was like, I can always catch up on sleep, no problem, I'll get sleep another time. But the constant demands of a baby, they're not going um, to make sure and check in on you and, and make sure that you're getting enough sleep. They're just going to let you know what they need. And uh, I, I realized that over time that, man, without sleep, I was really only half a Christian. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was a real mess. So I, pl- I placed a greater priority on sleep now in my 40s than I used to uh, back then. But uh, so each year in January, we like to, we'd like to look at what things really are most important for us in a church. So we find ourselves here in the second week of our vision series talking about devotion. So we're in Acts 2. Verse 42 this morning, you're going to wonder how I preach a whole sermon out of a few words. Well, let's, let's get into it. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are good. Thank you for the testimony that we just heard from uh, Steve and, uh, and Sarah. And just ask that you, would, um, that you would use that, Lord, to tenderize our hearts this morning, that you would help us to see the reality of what devoting ourselves uh, to your word and devoting ourselves to one another means. Uh, Lord, the life-altering reality that comes about when we take the gospel in and we begin to respond to you out of what your spirit has given to us. Uh, Please bless your word today. Lord, may uh, you empower it to our hearing, uh, help us to to learn and to grow, and uh, Jesus to be challenged here at the beginning of the year. We need for you to inspire our work, Lord, and, and um, to, to build us up to be the church that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so just to set a little context on our passage, Acts 2.42, um, Peter and the other disciples, the beginning of the book of Acts, have been waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. Jesus has told them to, to go to Jerusalem and to wait for the Holy Spirit who is going to come. He is going to be uh, their comforter. He is going to continue to reveal uh, Jesus to them, and that's what they know is going to happen next. And so the Holy Spirit comes and fills the disciples, and they begin to speak in tongues, glorifying God and making it hard for any Baptist to preach through Acts 2 without a lot of ums and ahs. <clears throat> but uh, Peter, Peter preaches this sermon in which uh, he proclaims the crucifixion 
the resurrection and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And even more pointedly, he lays the blame for the crucifixion of Jesus at the feet of his hearers. He says, you are the reason that the Lord of glory had to be crucified. So, this is not five ways to happy, have a happy marriage kind of sermon. And, and the people respond and they ask Peter and the others, brothers, what shall we do? 3,000 people are baptized that day, which leads us right up to this verse. This is what happens next. After they have received Christ, after they have been baptized and added to the church, Acts 2.42 says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. We're going to talk about those two things today. It also talks about the breaking of bread and the prayers. The breaking of the bread is probably a reference to a communion uh, and also to fellowship in their homes and then praying together becomes a part of what they do as the church. So these are the things that happen in their lives immediately following. And we're going to see that this is a pattern that God sets in the life of a believer. It's why we have it as second of our, of our four points in our discipleship process. The reason this is God's pattern is because he wants for them to grow in love for him. And he wants the same thing for us. Let's look at Psalm 1, <clears throat> verses 1 through 3. I'm going to talk some about um, God's word this morning and why it's important. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not weather. In all that he does, he prospers. So Psalm 1 is laying out for us God's plan to bless his people. And it has to do with them delighting in the law of the Lord, delighting in God's commands to them and meditating on them, uh, ruminating and thinking deeply about what God uh, says that he is and what he commands them to do. And it makes this comparison between the, pan, the man who, who, uh, who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night and this tree. And this tree is supposed to, is, is, a, is a, like a tree that is a healthy tree. tree. It's planted by streams of water and so it has everything that it needs in order to grow. And it produces fruit the way that it should. So God's idea of blessing then is not necessarily the same uh, kind of blessing that we think about in our culture. Sometimes we think about blessing as being uh, perfect health and material wealth, the kind of things that we would say, hashtag blessed on, uh, on our social media accounts, right? And although sometimes he does bless us in those ways and take care of us, in those ways. Blessing is really all about a life that bears good fruit for God. And the good thing is that what glorifies God is also the thing that is best for us, in spite of the fact that it can be difficult at times. So a person is blessed then if they devote themselves to God's words in Scripture. So with that in mind, let's, let's look at what is meant by the fact that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching this morning. Now, what is it that the apostles were teaching? We know because we can see what the apostles taught all through the New Testament. They taught two things. First of which is that they helped us to remember the promises of God predicted in the Old Testament. So all throughout the New Testament, we're going to see constant references 
back to God's um, people and what God did with them in the Old Testament. We're going to be reminded uh, of Genesis chapter 3 and how God said that he would send one who, even though even Adam had sinned, um, that he was going to send one who would come and crush the serpent's head. He was going to destroy the power of the devil over humanity. He also said that he would bless the nations through a man named Abram, who God called uh, to himself and, and said, I want you to go and follow me, and uh, I'm going to, to make of your family many nations, and throughout, through your seed, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed, which is exactly what we see in the life of Jesus, because the message of the gospel has gone throughout all of the world and has changed the lives of each nation that it comes in contact with. So all of the nations of the earth are blessed through hearing the gospel. We also see that Jesus is a fulfillment of some things that are spoken of in the Old Testament. We just read uh, the book of Exodus this past year, and uh, you'll remember at the Passover, there was a lamb that was sacrificed um, in, in each family, and that lamb was supposed to be a lamb without blemish. And uh, we know, that after reading uh, the book of Hebrews, that uh, the blood of lambs and bulls and goats don't, per- don't cleanse anyone of their sin. They are just a reminder, a representation, and a forecast of who Jesus would be. John the Baptist identifies Jesus and says, uh, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is who Jesus would be. He would be the perfect, unblemished sacrifice for us. And then, the prophet who is like Moses is mentioned in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. It's talking about a prophet that would be raised up. And this is what people immediately begin asking about Jesus when they heard his words. They were like, is this the prophet? Is this the one who has come to speak words that would be like Moses' words? Uh, words that come directly from God. And then we know that Jesus would be the forever king who would sit on David's throne. In 2 Samuel uh, verse se- chapter 7, um, David wants to build uh, God a house. He wants to build a temple for the Lord. And, uh, and God says, I'm going to delay that until the next generation. Let your son do that. But I'm going to build you a house in the meantime. And what he means is that he's going to, uh, to, to build this legacy for David in which there will be a, always be a man sitting on the throne in David's lineage. And so um, there's, this, there's this promise that there's always going to be a man sitting on the throne. Well, if you read your Old Testament, you know that that promise is in jeopardy because um, there was a point at which um, the, the kings of Judah, who would have been in David's lineage, are actually taken to Babylon. They're taken off of their throne. Some of them are killed. And so what happens to God's promise? We see that fulfilled in the New Testament as as Jesus uh, is going about his earthly ministry, people begin to identify him as the son of David. And that's exactly who he was. He was in David's lineage. But he didn't just sit on an earthly throne and rule over an earthly government. He ruled forever in an eternal government that is set up by God. We also see Jesus in the Old Testament as the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, who comes and bears all of our sins and sorrows, and who is mistreated and abused because of our sin. And so that is also a picture of Jesus. We see Jesus being tortured and whipped and placed 
on a Roman cross to die a horrible sinner's death on our behalf. So Jesus uh, fulfills all of these promises in the Old Testament. And so the apostles are teaching the people and saying, look at the different ways in which Jesus has fulfilled what was spoken about uh, by the prophets. God has always been active, but especially now. Look at the way that Jesus has fulfilled these things. And then in the New Testament, this is another thing that, um, that, the, uh, that the apostles begin to teach. They're, they're teaching the message of the gospel. They're teaching about what Jesus said and did. Let's look at 2 Peter, verse 1, verses uh, 14 through 21. We just heard about Peter a second ago and how he preached that sermon. But Peter authors two books in the New Testament. Let's start at verse 14 here. It says, Peter's speaking to his audience. He says, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So Peter's concerned because he knows uh, that the message of the gospel has been entrusted to him. There were things that Peter saw with his own physical eyes that you and I can't see today. And he wanted to make sure that people could recall, they, could, they would be able to remember the things that Jesus said and did, which is the purpose for the writings that we find in the New Testament. So he says, I'm going to make every effort to make sure that you will be able at any time to recall these things. We can only assume that he was talking about being interviewed for some of the Gospels. Uh, Mark and, and Luke in particular are likely drawn from Peter's accounts. So, verse 14, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received glory and honor from God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter is, is saying, look, this is firsthand testimony. When I am telling you these things about Jesus' crucifixion and about his burial and his resurrection, these were things that we actually saw take place with our own eyes. And he, he uh, describes a story uh, from, that we hear recounted in the Gospels about how Peter, James, and John went up to the top of a mountain together with Jesus. And there, Jesus' face was transfigured. It became, it, it became glorious, and his, and his clothes looked like they, they were uh, bleached, whiter than anyone on earth could have bleached them. So there's this amazing physical uh, transfiguration that happens uh, to Jesus when he's up on the mountain that only Peter, James, and John would know anything about. Not only that, but they were instructed to keep it quiet until after Jesus raised from the dead. And so he's saying, look, we were eyewitnesses of this that took place, this very specific uh, circumstance in, in the life of Jesus and his ministry, because he knows that people will begin to will try to discredit other things that happened in the life of Jesus, particularly the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and that he is coming again. Now, I'm very glad that all of the people who have uh, tried to discredit uh, Jesus rising from the dead and his coming again have all died off in the first century. Uh, we don't have people like that uh, anymore, right? No, we, we, our world is filled with them. There's a constant attack on the Gospels, on what Jesus 
did Jesus really say what the Gospels say that he did? And Peter is, is saying, look, I was an eyewitness. I saw it happen myself. I want you to, to know this, to be able to recall this yourselves. So look at, look at verse 19. He says, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So he's talking about the gospel accounts. He's talking about the ways in which the Old Testament was fulfilled in the message of Jesus and, and what happened with him during his earthly ministry. What Jesus did, what Jesus said, changes everything. Jesus really did rise from the grave, which means that we were justified. We were made right before God if we place our trust in him because Jesus beat death and all of its power on our behalf. So enemies are going to say, Peter knows, that enemies are also going to say that this was made up by people with an agenda, right? The victors are the ones who write history. That's, that's something that we hear all of the time. That's the reason that we have this particular accounts and, and so on and so forth. But Peter counteracts that. He's, he knows that's coming. Look at verse 20 with me. It says, knowing that first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from some, someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter says, no one produced Scripture on their own. Even those who knew that God was speaking to them in an authoritative way acknowledged it as the word of the Lord. You'll see that happen in the Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah. The word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah and he acknowledges it as, as such and he treats it carefully because of that. So people speak from God in their own uh, unique ways. God uses their humanity. He uses their stations of life um, as a part of the way that in which he writes scripture. And yet it is inspired. Every word of scripture is god breathe. It is, is exactly as he wanted it to be recorded. So I love the authenticity of, of, uh, of the gospel message. I really see this um, as I read the gospels and you see all the things that get left in. If you were writing the story, you might want to write some of these things out, right? You might want to do a little bit of creative editing to leave that part of the story out and may, maybe not look, your, look uh, quite so bad because the disciples, honestly, look like goons most of the time in, in the New Testament, right? Think about James and John, right? They're leaving the, the, the village of the Samaritans. They've been rejected. They've been told, look, you can't come and, and preach that here. And they come to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, I've got a great idea. Let's call down fire from heaven. Let's burn these fools up, right? We'll just, we'll just be done with, all the, with this Samaritan village, and they will know not to mess with us again. Jesus has to pull them aside and say, you know what, guys? I think there's been a little bit of a mission drift here. I think we've gotten a little off track from what we're supposed to be doing. Think about what other things that, that the disciples do. That little children come to Jesus, and they want to spend time with him. What do the disciples do? They're like angrily shooing away uh, the kids, and Jesus has to rein these guys in and said, look, you know, I, I want the little children to come to me. They're a part of what uh, my ministry is all about. Terrible PR uh, shot there. You can imagine that showing up on someone's uh, Facebook feed, right, of, of the disciples shooing away these kids. This is what Jesus' disciples are like. Um, the disciples also forget huge details about who Jesus is, right, especially his ability to perform miracles. 
Think about the feeding of the 5,000, right? Jesus takes uh, five fish sticks and a Twinkie, and, uh, you know, and a... I think I got that the other way around. Five Twinkies and, a, and a two fish sticks and passes them out to 5,000 people. And Jesus feeds the entire crowd plus all the women and children that are there. And Everyone is amazed by Jesus' ability to, to do this miracle. And yet what happens when there are 4,000 people? The disciples are like, we have no idea what to do, Jesus. <laughs> we have no clue. There's 4,000 people. They're hungry. Like Jesus is like, guys, you were with me before, right? You do remember this, all right? And so think about the author of, of this letter, Peter. No one looks as dumb as Peter in, in the New Testament, right? Um, at one moment, Peter's on a spiritual high. He's, he is confessing Jesus as Lord, and, and, uh, and, uh, and Jesus is commending his faith. And the next moment, Jesus is having to pull, Jesus, uh, pull Peter off to the side and say, get behind me, Satan, for you do not have in mind the things of God. A total low moment there for Peter. So we know that, that, that we see traces and, and proofs of the authenticity of the gospel message just in what gets left in because the message of the gospel is this, that we are all goons, that we all need to be saved by grace through faith. We all fall short of the glory of God. All of that stuff is left in there because it's part of the message. It's part of what we need to hear today. So these gospel authors were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I love that language um, that Peter uses, that um, it's almost like uh, you've got this gospel author and the Holy Spirit is like carrying them along like a child on a parent's back, helping them to get it right, to get the message right as they write Holy Scripture. So what does it look like to devote ourselves to God's word? It's, it's really the same thing that it, it always has meant, that we hear God's word. We take it in um, when, when we hear God's word spoken um, in, a, in a sermon or if, we're, or if we're listening to the Bible, someone read it. Or we read God's word for ourselves. We open it up uh, uh, at whatever time of day we want to make sure that we are taking in God's words into our minds. We begin to study God's word. We commit ourselves to going, you know what? I don't understand everything here. I'm going to make sure that I dig into the things that I don't get or the ways in which I, I don't feel like I have the whole picture. I need to know. I need to study more and more. We begin to memorize um, parts of the Bible. I know some of you guys are looking at me going like, I don't know. My, my memory doesn't work so well. Um, but, but we all memorize information that's important to us that we need to have at a moment's notice. Everybody here probably knows your social security number pretty well because you've had to use it from time to time. The same thing can be true of Scripture. We, if we use it, if we put it into practice, it's something that's worth committing some things to memory. And then meditating on Scripture. We're meditating on it day and night, like the, like the psalmist told us to do. We're thinking deeply about what has been written. We're not just kind of scanning over the words and going, you know what, I got my three chapters a day and I'm doing pretty well. We're meditating on it. We're thinking deeply on what God has said. We're also going to begin to, as we, as we place our trust in what God has said, we're going to believe it against our circumstances. We're going to believe it against our circumstances because our circumstances often preach a false gospel to us. They preach a false message. Uh, for example, some of you all 
um, have done some things in your past that you're really not proud of, and, uh, and your reaction in your life is, is to hide away from people, is to not share who you are with people and not be around people maybe even quite so much because you're ashamed of those things in your past. But the reality is that if you are in Christ, your shame has been taken away. It's no longer something that God sees as presently affecting your circumstances. And it doesn't have to determine how you react to things in your life. Think about 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For our sake, he, meaning God, made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus takes our sin on himself, and he identifies with it. He says, that's going to be as if it is my sin. And I'm going to take my perfect righteousness and I'm going to place it on my, uh, my sons and my daughters. I'm going to place it on Christians so that they could become the righteousness of God. So I don't know if you think about yourself that way. If you're struggling with shame, you, there's a conflict between what God's word says and what you act on. We need to allow Holy Scripture to direct our lives. What God says about us is more important than what we think. And then think about those of you who feel defeated by sin. Maybe you have a particular sin that you struggle with on a regular basis, and you wonder in your mind, is this something that is always going to dominate my life? Is this something that is always going to rule over me? God's word says something differently. It says in Romans 6.14, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. The Bible tells us that we have been set free from sin and have become slave to righteousness. We are no longer under law, but are under grace. So sin doesn't have any dominion over us. That word dominion in the Greek means lordship. Sin has no lordship over you. It has no ability to keep you bound. It has no ability to keep you apart from doing the things that God has commanded you to do. So you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit um, to walk in freedom. Look at also at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Some of you are familiar with this verse. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, if you've been struggling against sin for a long time, you may hear this uh, scripture and, and you just feel like, man, that just feels like an extra weight on top of me. You just, you've, you've told me that not only am, am I a sinner, but also that I'm able to endure it, I'm able to get out of this, and I don't feel like I'm able to uh, when I'm confronted uh, with temptation. And yet, scripture tells us that the reason that we are able to endure it is not because of us and our ability to white-knuckle it through this life. The ability comes from God's faithfulness and his creation of a way of escape through the power of the gospel. So God's faithfulness is what creates that for us. So God's word tells us something different than sometimes what we believe. Or this one, some of you feel like, you know what, I'm out of strength. I just, I just don't know if I can continue, whether it's a physical strength, I just don't feel like I can do things. Uh, maybe you're depressed um, and you, you feel like this, the weight of the world is on you. 
uh, or you have to continue uh, in a particular situation to, to work with or deal with a person who is constantly uh, on top of you, who is messing with you, who is unkind to you. I just feel like you just don't have the strength to, to continue to go. Isaiah 41.10 says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So the lie that we believe often is that we have to do those things if we have to bear up and be strong in and of ourselves. The good news of the gospel says that because of what Jesus has done, that the Lord himself is with us to strengthen us, to help us, that he's going to uphold us in those situations in which we feel like we can't keep going. So let's say that I'm, you might say to me, hey, look, I am, I'm working the plan. I'm, I'm trying to believe <laughs> Excuse me, what God's word says. I am trusting him. But there's more that we need to, the more, there's more that we need to, to do in response to the gospel. We're devoted not only to the apostles' teaching, we're also devoted to the fellowship. This is why God plants us in community with other believers. So let's look at what devotion means in Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. The author of Hebrews says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest, great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our conscience, whose heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So, this is the message of the gospel that even though in the Old Testament people could not draw near to the holiness of God. We see the example of this uh, at, at the foot of the mountain in Exodus. You'll remember that when Moses uh, went up to the top of the mountain, the people were not allowed to touch the mountain uh, lest they die because God's presence was there. His holiness uh, was being manifest. And uh, so, God, uh, so God tells them they are not to touch the mountain. Also, uh, we, we heard in Exodus about the, uh, about the holy place inside the tabernacle. The people of Israel, uh, barring, barring the priests, were not supposed to go into the holy place, lest they also would die. So they rightly feared the judgment of God. In the New Testament, it's not as if God has relaxed his standards and said, you know what, I'm tired of all this law stuff. It's really hard uh, to, to make people obey my law. I'm just going to let everybody in in spite of the fact that they're sinful and terrible. No, God has actually upheld his standards through what Jesus has done on our behalf. Because everything that he has commanded his people to do, Jesus fulfilled in his perfect righteousness. And he did this to, in order to redeem us. So we are now able to draw near and enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. So we're going to celebrate communion here uh, in a few weeks. And this will be a reminder to us of what, how, the ways in which Jesus has opened new life and, and opened access to God in new ways because of what he has done in his physical body on the tree. So we're able to draw near. And then in verse 23, 
It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So what is the, what is the confession that we have? The confession that we have is the message of the gospel, that Jesus came, that he lived the perfect life that we could not live, that he died the death that we deserve to die, and that he rose on the third day, defeating death and sin on our behalf, and that he rose and ascended into heaven. This is the message that we proclaim. This is the confession that we have. Isn't it interesting that this follows the pattern that we saw in Acts chapter 2? The message of the gospel produces an, an ability for us to enter in to God's presence, for us to be made new, to have a new life in Christ. And what is the first thing that happens? We confess what God's word says is true. So the people begin to devote themselves to, uh, to the apostles' teaching. This is exactly what happens here. We're holding fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And then what happens next? Verse, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So is this series of commands that has to do with fellowship, that has to do with our relationships to one another. So we're told here that we need to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And we're told that we need to encourage one another in our faith. So we need one another in order to obey God's commands and in order to live out this new life that he has given to us. Uh, if the media team will put up that slide for us. I've created a list that's similar to something that Brent's done before. Um, this is a list of one another commands in the New Testament. You can take a shot of that and have a great study with it on, on the way home. But we'll go over just a few of these here. In the New Testament, we're told to love one another. Look at all of those passages that have to do with loving one another. We're told to live in harmony with one another, to outdo one another in showing honor. We're told to welcome one another to instruct one another, to care for one another, to serve one another. It sounds like we are back in Steve's video here, doesn't it? This is exactly what was going on in his small group, both before and, what ha and after what happened uh, with Sarah. To bear with one another, to be kind to one another, to forgive one another. Now, here's the interesting thing. You guys all know that we can't do these one another commands by ourselves, right? It involves someone else. But it not only involves another, another person who is a believer, it involves people who you know well. Because how are you going to forgive someone who is not actually close enough to, to sin against you? right? Because you could walk in and out of here on a Sunday morning and no one ever do anything to you that would require forgiveness. But you wouldn't be obeying God's commands because you wouldn't have anybody that was close enough to you that you needed to forgive and who needed to forgive you. The Bible's commands involve that kind of relational proximity. It's needed. It's more than just, um, unfortunately, what we can do on a Sunday morning anymore. So all of these commands are things that require us to be in relationship with one another. They require us uh, to be in fellowship with each other. So fellowship does a number, has a number of benefits for us as we obey God's commands we see that fellowship is, is, helps us to remember things. First of all, it helps us to remember the great love of Christ. We saw a perfect picture of that in the video. 
how Steve's family was reminded of how much God loves them in Christ by the fact that he put all of these people around their family to bear them up in their time of need. Again, people are imperfect. They're not going to do love uh, the way that God ultimately will do in the end. And yet, th- there are little reminders, ways in which God says, I love you. And here's, here's a way in which uh, this is just a, a reminder to you. Don't forget the fact that I love you. Second, fellowship helps us to remember that it's not all about us. How much of our dissatisfaction with our lives is caused by the fact that we are on this constant path of trying to fulfill ourselves and our own desires and our own wants? How much of our boredom or how much of our our kind of angst with the world around us really has to do with, is uh, is this life fulfilling me the way that I think that it should? Fellowship reminds us that it's not all about us. It's about other people as well, that God saves us not only uh, to, to, to benefit and to bless us, but he saves us also to benefit and bless other people around us. So fellowship helps us to remember that. It's not all about us. Fellowship also helps us to remember that God saves a people. Now, over the past few decades, it's become uh, very popular to talk about how God loves you individually and that he has a wonderful plan uh, for your life, right? We've been told that in evangelistic tracts. But God saves not only individuals, he saves himself a people. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies uh, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. The only way to read this passage is to recognize that you are one of many people that God has saved. He has saved a group of people to himself. Praise God. People from all tribes and tongues and nations will worship him. We see that picture in Revelation chapter 7. All different, all different people um, from across the globe, and yet they are a new people There are people that's not based on uh, their background or their ethnicity. That's based on what Jesus Christ has done for them. That they are God's people because of what Jesus has done. So fellowship helps us to remember that. As we see the differences in the lives of people around us, we're reminded, what are the things we really have in common? Well, we have in common the fact that we have a great Savior who saved us from our sin. That we need him more and more. That is the most important thing. And so uh, fellowship helps us to remember that God saves a people. Lastly, fellowship helps us to remember the reality of the gospel message. We can see, that's why I love to see videos like that, right? Because it reminds me of the fact that God is at work in the lives of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes I can be blind to the ways in which he is at work in me, but I can see it very clearly in the life of someone else. I would argue that all of these things are the reason why there's such a constant assault by the forces of darkness on the local church. There's so many ways in which um, the enemy hates uh, what we do uh, as a people corporately. It's why um, in the New Testament we see false teachers constantly infiltrating the church. It's within almost every one of the epistles. We see there's false teachers that are coming in and trying to teach things 
that get people uh, engaged in things that are, that are heretical or, or, and or unfruitful. The reason the enemy wants to do this is because he wants to destroy our witness by word. The words that you have to say, church, to one another and to those who are in our culture are important. They're important. Think about Acts chapter 4 when uh, Peter and John are brought before the Jewish rulers. What is the one thing that, the Peter, that Peter and John are told not to do by those rulers? They said, we don't want you to speak anymore about this Jesus. That's exactly what we have to do. We have to continue to preach the gospel to our world around us. We have to, to remind ourselves of the gospel. This is part of what the church is supposed to be about. It's what fellowship is about. The enemy also wants to destroy our witness indeed because he knows that if we begin to love one another the way that Jesus tells us to do in John 13, 34, he says, by all this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That will be a witness to the world around you. If the enemy can short-circuit that and cause our deeds uh, not to be focused on him, to destroy our witness, he wants to do that because our deeds are important. Also, the enemy wants to send false teaching in to deceive us and cause our lives to be unfruitful. All the, this all could fall apart if we begin to believe things that are not true about God and his word. Our doctrine, church, is important. What we believe about God in his word is very, very important. If these things were to be short-circuited, then what God is doing here at our local church would fall apart. It would prevent the kingdom of God from moving forward here in this particular way. Now, we know that the kingdom of God is not stopped Regardless of what decisions we make, <coughs> excuse me, the kingdom of God is going to continue moving forward in 2023. God's movement is an unstoppable force. The book of Job, Job has to confess before God, there is no plan of yours that can be thwarted. The question is, are you and I going to be a part of what God is doing? Because we have an opportunity Remember in the Gospels what Jesus is, is constantly telling people to do. He says, follow me. Follow me. Leave this and follow me. So there are opportunities that are, that are there to be had in the lives of people in the Gospels. Can you imagine seeing Jesus cast a demon out of someone? Can you imagine seeing Jesus raise someone from the dead? And yet there are people that we read about in the Gospels that see that and go, oh, that was cool, right? And turn away from it. You're, you read that and you're incredulous. You're like, I can't believe this. I can't believe that, that anyone would turn away from seeing Jesus do these miraculous things. And yet, what are we as a church? We are a collection of miraculous things that Jesus has done. Amen? Amen. That is what he has done in us. That is part of why we gather, to remind ourselves Jesus has worked in you and you and you and you. We look around and we see what God has done. So God offers us this opportunity in the gospel today. Follow me. How easy is it to get distracted and looking at other people and what they're going to do, the decisions that they are going to make. Peter gets caught up into this in John chapter 21. He's just been restored by Jesus. Jesus has forgiven him for his betrayal. And yet 
Peter looks around him and, goes, and he's go, he looks at the Apostle John and he goes, yeah, but what about him? And Jesus looks at him and says, what is that to you, what is that to you Peter? Follow me. Your job is to follow me. Don't look around at John. If, he, if, if, you want, if I want to keep him alive until I come back, that's between me and him. Peter, you follow me. So we have an opportunity this morning, church, to devote ourselves, to follow Jesus, devoting ourselves to Scripture, devoting ourselves to fellowship is what following Jesus looks like. Now, how does that look at our church? Because we've got to, we've got to figure out a way to do some of these things together as a church, devoting ourselves to Scripture and to fellowship. And as, and as elders, we're responsible to have a structure in place by which anyone who walks into our doors who wants to grow in Jesus can come and grow uh, in these two areas. So we have devotion groups. This is not going to be a big infomercial for devotion groups. I'm just telling you, this is, this is a way in which our, our, our church responds to what God has done for us. So we've got three different kinds of devotion groups. We've got small groups, with, which is adults of all ages, men and women together, uh, who are tracking with the sermon series, who are uh, looking at what, what is God saying to us through uh, this text on Sunday morning? How do we apply this to our lives? And then we're also going to have a, a way to serve in the community, looking around us, looking for those opportunities that we might have uh, to share Jesus with others. And then we've got forged and dwell groups, which are men's and women's groups, respectively. And these are groups that meet uh, for study and accountability. And they generally study a book of the Bible uh, together. So this is a way of being accountable in their Bible reading. Um, because devotion is not just about, obviously, being in these groups. It's also about studying on our own. It's about being with God and his word on our own. And, but this is a way to, to come together and to share um, that the reading plan together and react to what, what is God saying to us as we read uh, his scripture together. The, the good news is that we don't have to be exactly like the people who are in our group. We don't have to dress the same or listen to the same music or like the same sports teams. What unites us is who we are in Christ. Those vital, vital things that Jesus has saved us from. He's brought us out of darkness and he's brought us into his light. This is what, um, and this, this common knowledge of what it means to be saved. We have this need to devote ourselves. This is what brings us together in these groups. So if you're interested in doing that and, and, and uh, following the Lord with us together as a church, you can do that by going to the website, clicking on the Connect tab. You'll see there are men, women, and small groups. Each of those is kind of an entry point into um, those, those ministries of the church. And we would love to have you um, be a part uh, of, what, uh, of what the church is doing together. Uh, it's, it's part of what we require of our members is to be a, a part of one of those groups. So if you're interested in membership, just know that's, that's a part of what we, what we want you to do. Uh, but regardless, God calls us uh, to follow him, to devote ourselves to what he says, to prize it as more important than what we think, and then to begin to devote ourselves to relationships with one another that are deeper than just, hey, how you doing on a Sunday morning? Let's pray and ask the Lord for his help. Lord Jesus, this, this message this morning has been command-heavy. It's, it's, uh, it's been instruction-heavy. And, uh, Lord, we recognize that um, apart from you, we can do nothing. Lord, we can hear all of those commands, and we can feel just as burdened by them as anything in our lives before uh, coming to know you. 
apart from you, Lord, we can't accomplish any of these works. But through you, in Christ, Lord, we have the power to say no to sin, to say yes to what your plan is, your design is for our lives. Pray that you would give us grace, Lord, to take that next step this morning, whatever it is for us, Lord, and to commit ourselves to your work. Lord, help us to respond to the gospel, not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers as well. In Jesus' name, amen.